I'll be reading from the King James Version, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. It is good to see everyone this morning. I want us to look at some ideas this morning. I want us to look at the idea of Christians being in the habit of making themselves aware of the great blessings with which God has uh, blessed us. When we look at this idea of love, I want us to understand that all those things are based upon that emotion. But it's really not even an emotion. Love is a reaction. When we look at the blessings that God has given to us, we ought to have a certain reaction. Now, I think uh, being humans, uh, our understanding is limited at times, and sometimes that limited understanding keeps us from making a proper application. So what we need to do sometimes is break it down to something that is a little more understandable. There's just so much about God that we have a hard time completely understanding. His very nature is something beyond our comprehension, something that didn't have a beginning and something that doesn't have an end. How do we even wrap our minds around that? After all, Everyone and everything that lives on this planet or ever has lived or existed on this planet had a beginning and it had an ending. Even Christ as a man had a birth date, didn't he? And he died miraculously. His physical body was was resurrected from the grave and then he was translated into his spiritual body and he was ascended into heaven where he exists today. But the the part of him that is God never had a beginning. It has never had an ending. 
never will have an ending. And so it's a little hard for us to understand that when we look at the things that that God has done for us, that we ought to look at that, and our reaction ought to be love. But there's just so much about Him that is hard for us to comprehend, so we need to look at it maybe in another way. Let's, let's begin by explaining that or comparing that to our relationships we have here on earth. What is it about those relationships that we can connect this concept of love to? When we think of our husbands and wives, when we think of our children, our grandchildren, when we think of our great-grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, uh, our grandparents, whatever the case may be, our, uh, even friends that we, we love so dearly, what is it about that that we demonstrate this attachment called love, this concept of love? It's not just a mere emotion. Oh, is there, is there a feeling that comes behind that? Well, sure there is. Sure there is. But what is the true aspect of that love? Now, Pat and I have, uh, I have one grandchild. She's got a bunch, but she's got some great-grandchildren, too. And uh, she and Bert have been doing this grandparent thing for a good while now. Now, on the other hand, Nicole and I and, and Greg and Holly, we're brand new to this. We got our first grandchildren this year. And so it's, it's easy to understand how we attach this concept of love. Now, look, we've got children. We understand full well. This, this uh, concept of love and, and how we attach it, and I'm not saying you don't love your children, but what I am saying is you can sugar up the grandchildren and you can let them do whatever they want to, just send them home, right? And then you let mom and dad deal with it. You know, that's, that's payback. That's, that's, that's what they get, right? But I want us to look at this idea of love as it's, it's not an, just an emotion. I don't know that it's an emotion. It has emotion attached to it. Love is something that you do. Love is an action. So what's our action regarding God? Well, when we look at our grandchildren and our children, what would we not do in their best interest? What would we not do when we look at this idea of loving our children, loving our grandchildren, loving our husbands and our wives and, and our grandparents, I, I don't even know that that's an emotion. That's demonstrated and we work long, hard hours, don't we, to help support them. Carl's been in the construction business probably close to his whole life. He's worked some long, hard hours because he's got this boy named Charles that he'd do everything and anything for. Charles has got a couple children that he'd do anything and everything for, right? And so when we look at this concept of love, it's actually what you're doing, right? What am I doing to allow that emotion to manifest itself in love? And then I think we might be better able to understand exactly what love is. We just misuse that word so much in this country, really in, in the world now in general. You can't love a vehicle or something like that because you don't really do anything to it to demonstrate. You enjoy that thing, right? It's a pleasure for you. Or a particular TV show or a particular food. That's something that pleases the individual. That's not what love does. Love works to please the other person. Works to do something for the other person that is in that person's best interest brethren that's not an emotion 
It has emotion attached to it. But it is an action. So when we look at this idea of making it a habit of being aware of the great many blessings that God has given to us, what's my action in regard to that? Well, it has to be obedience, doesn't it? It has to be obedience. If God has done so much for me, what can I possibly do in return for Him other than be obedient? What can I give Him? There's nothing I can give Him. Everything I have and that I am came from Him. So what can I as a person do to allow my love for Him to manifest itself in the action? It has to be obedience. It has to be my willingness to listen to what He said and to do what He's asked. We talk about the plan of salvation all the time because it's so important. The religious world says just believe. Well, that's not... Belief isn't anything on its own. Right? Anyone can believe something and not allow an action to happen as a result of it. Many of the chief uh, priests believed on him but would not confess him. So where'd that get them? Lost, just like those who didn't believe on him. So there has to be an action behind it. Belief is an action. Really? If you truly believe, you'll do something. I've used this example so much, I don't know a better one. We burned wood when I was growing up. My dad said, have some wood on the porch when I get home. I didn't do it. He adjusted my attitude and I did it from then on out because I believed he meant what he said. And so it resulted in my reaction to his telling me to do something. You know, as I got older and as I matured, those actions came without him having to tell me anything because I began to understand in what elemental way it was, my love for him, and it was an action. Love's not an emotion, brethren. It's a result of something that you're doing. There is emotion attached to it. So when we look at the plan of salvation, we understand, look, faith is, is an action. Jesus was asked, How can I work the works of God? Well, believe on Him who He sent. That's a work. How do I I repent? How do I recognize repentance? Or how can I recognize it in someone else? You bring forth works worthy of repentance. That's what Paul did. Confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in the presence of other people is an action that they can see and that helps them. God knows your belief. God understands what you what you understand Christ to be. He doesn't need to hear it. He knows it. Yet it's important. Immersion in water is a work, not a work of man. That's what the religious world wants us to believe. Well, you can't work your way to heaven. I agree totally, 100%. But I demonstrate my love through action, and that action is the obedience that God has instructed me to follow. And then I am immersed for the forgiveness of sin, Acts 2.38. Washes all those sins away, Acts 22.16. See, I want us to understand that love isn't just an emotion. Love is something that happens 
from the individual to other people. And then, of course, that idea of faithful living, that's performing the works of God. That will get us to heaven. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul spent some time directing his readers in gaining and maintaining the proper idea and concept and form of love. They didn't understand love. They had no clue. They were misunderstanding. I don't know where they got their ideas. We know there were some false apostles came in. Paul addressed that in 2 Corinthians. But where they initially got this, I don't know. But you recall their behavior toward those spiritual gifts. They wanted the ones that you could see outwardly. They wanted to be able to speak in tongues. They wanted to be able to speak in a language they had never previously studied. They had no idea how to do it, but miraculously they were given that gift and everybody could see it. That's the one they wanted. You know what Paul said? That's the least of the gifts. That's the least of the gifts. Look, you ought to want prophecy. You ought to want to be able to have the gift where you can tell other people about what Christ did. They believed they were demonstrating their love toward that brother in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You recall him? He was living in an immoral relationship with his stepmother, and they said, boy, we, of course I'm paraphrasing, we love him so much, we're not even going to discipline him. Paul said, wrong idea, wrong idea. See, that's just a thought. Love is an action. In fact, Paul went beyond what most people understand love to be. And he began to talk about things that actually happen in this life. If we were going to diagram 1 Corinthians 13, we'd have a whole lot of words in that verb section. Can you put that, put that little diagram up there? The line on the bottom, the line coming down, or, or you have the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the two subjects and the two verbs or whatever. You're going to have a whole list of verbs here because that's what we're talking about. He went beyond what the normal understanding is. He said love is uh, defined by what it does. Not a concept, not an idea, not an emotion. It's defined by what it does. Knowing all that, it is important for the individual to understand and be able to identify that which Paul described as the greatest of these wonderful verse, uh, gifts, 1 uh, Corinthians thirteen thirteen, I believe Paul said love was greater than faith and hope because it's eternal. It's eternal. As we allow the great apostle to teach about that which is eternal, and that's the title of the sermon this morning, I want us to begin by Paul making the case for love. That's our first point. He made the case for love. And as he presented his case, he showed it to be a better practice. Now, what what is when you practice something? What are you doing? Something. You're doing something. You're involved, right? You go practice soccer. You're out there kicking the ball. You practice baseball. You're out there catching and batting. If you're practicing basketball. You're doing whatever you're doing, you're involved in some kind of activity, even if it's not physical activity. You're practicing math equations, 
hey, you're sitting down and your brain is working and you're uh, writing stuff down and you're figuring out what that is. You're practicing that thing and that's what love is. Love is the best practice. It's the better one. Better than what? All these other things that he'd been talking about in chapter 12. All these physical or uh, spiritual gifts rather that they, that they had. All nine of them. He said love is the better practice. You see, they were experiencing some difficulties. Again, we go back to the idea that they wanted the, the outward show. They wanted someone to be able to say, well, he has a spiritual gift. When you have a gift of prophecy, who knows that other than you and God? You're telling someone something. You have the gift of, of uh, uh, whatever you may do. If you have the gift of miracles, maybe you can heal someone. No one knows that until you heal someone. But see, if you have the gift of tongues, everybody knows it, everybody sees it, and you're the guy that can speak any kind of a language or whatever language it is, and you've never even practiced it. You see, he wanted them to desire those better gifts. And he made that same point that he made to Rome. When Paul made his plea to the Roman church, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he said, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, the problem was Corinth needed to be transformed. They had the wrong idea. They didn't understand what love was. They didn't understand love. They thought it was some kind of an emotion. They thought it was just an idea. Love is, a, is an action. Love is only seen through action. Can you tell someone you love them and then not really love them? How do you know that? Because of their action. Because of their action. Love is not an idea or an emotion. Now I understand that we're talking about love as this concept. I get that. But true love is seen through what we do. Now there's no doubt Paul grabbed their attention when he said love is greater than miracles because they didn't understand that. They wanted the miraculous. But he said, wait a minute. Wait a minute here. Love is the epitome of Christianity. It is on love which it is based Let's look at Christ. He's the greatest example. How do we know Christ loves us today? How do we know that God loved the world? The, 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 the most well-known verse in the world, John 3, 16, been abused and misused since its inception nearly. For God so loved the world, and He sat back, and He let us do whatever we wanted to do, and He just loved us to pieces. Brethren, that is not what it said. That is not the idea. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, we need to pay close attention to that detail in our own lives, don't we? While worship and doctrine are musts, on what are they based? They have to be practiced in love and they have to be practiced in spirit or the right attitude, the right doctrine, the right attitude. But what brings about that right attitude? It's this action 
of love. The Corinthians were not practicing what Jesus taught. Now, according to Paul, love is the better practice, but it is also the better presentation. Notice verse 1 of chapter 13 and verse 2. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all the knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Love is the better presentation. But why? Why is it the better presentation? You know what was going on in Corinth, one of their main problems? Their ego. They wanted people to look upon them and they wanted to be praised and they wanted to be looked up to and they wanted someone to brag on them. It's a whole lot like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. When they sold their piece of property and they gave part of it to the church and they said, we gave it all to you. They wanted to be bragged on. They wanted people to praise them. See, it was an ego thing, right? They wanted to impress others. The people in Corinth wanted to feel important. That's not what love does. They weren't thinking about the lost souls of men and women. That's what love does. And so their focus was not proper. And Paul had to address that. You see, the world considers the Christian's view of love to be odd. Right? The reason is they understand different uh, love differently than how God understands it. They look at love as this, this idea, this emotion. You might love someone for a while, then you might not. Have you ever ta- heard about in, in the modern world people uh, wanting a divorce? And you know what they say? It's just like most of the time they say, well, we just fell out of love with each other. We just grew apart. We fell out of love. Listen, that's the biggest bunch of junk. Why don't you just say, I chose not to love someone. I wanted to move on to something else. It wasn't worth the effort. I chose not to do it, so I'm not going to do it anymore. I say, that's not what love does. That's not love. That's not love. They don't understand love. You know, often, too, love's not what it seems. Love doesn't always act the way we expect it to act. Love doesn't always behave the same in every situation. It may not even behave the same in the same situation that happens on down the road. But let's break it down to something that we can understand. A child does something that the child shouldn't do. A parent lovingly goes to that child, explains to the child why it shouldn't do it, says, no, don't touch the hot stove, or no, don't do this. and and demonstrates a love for that child, wanting it to correct its behavior, and then you get on down the road a day or two, and then that child tries to do the same thing again? Do you do that same exact presentation of love? Well, you might, but eventually that presentation of love turns into something else, doesn't it? It turns into discipline. Why? Because you hate the child? No, because you love that child just as much as you did the first time you had that conversation, but they weren't getting it. They didn't understand. And they may not even understand the second or the third time, but they, they understand that they don't want what happened to happen again. <laughs> right? 
And so love presents itself differently. It just depends on the situation at that particular time. See, the world doesn't understand that. The world does not understand that. You can't discipline your child. You can't tell your child one thing or another. You can't bring them up in in a particular way. And that's not what the world says. The world says, or that is what the world says, says, you know, you let your child do whatever you want to. We had a class on transgenderism on Wednesday night that we, we just finished up. You know, I, I saw the, the, the teaser headline a while back. I didn't even read the article. I just didn't have the stomach for it. But some uh, movie star somewhere's got a 10-year-old son that was wearing a, a dress while he was playing, and so that child is, is transgender, and that's how they're going to raise him. They're going to let him make his decisions. Really? He's two. He doesn't even realize that he's in the world, really. He knows when he's hungry, when he's cold, when he wants to sit with his mama. He understands all that stuff. But that's about it. It just kills me to hear someone say, well, I'm going to let my child under, uh, make the decision for this. Really? Do you make them brush their teeth? Do you make them take a bath? Do you make them eat properly, or do, you, do they eat cake and candy for breakfast, lunch, and supper all the time? Now, that may happen at certain times or with certain people, but that's the exception, not the rule. You see, love presents itself, and the person receiving the love may not always like it. <laughs> but see, that's because people don't understand what love is. Love is an action that's best for that person. It's best for that individual. And that individual may not understand it. You see, even though it acts in different ways, it's still love. But Paul made the case for love. And then he wanted to describe the characteristics of love. That's our second point because we need to understand what love is when we see it. First thing we see is love is patient in respect to people. That's what makes us be able to love the unlovable. You see, that wasn't just a suggestion. That was a commandment to love all people. And that's difficult sometimes if we don't understand what love is. But love is an action that's what's best for that person. It allows us to look past the individual and to choose to love them and to do what's best for them. Now, does that mean that I have to have a personal relationship with that individual. Not always. That's not always what it means. But I still have to love that person. I have to have this these actions toward the, that person or people. You know, we have to love the mass murderer that's in prison. Do I want him to stand all night in my house? No. Does that mean I don't love them? No. I'm going to do what's best for them. And what's best for them is to be in prison right now so they can't murder anyone else. That's not good for them to kill someone. It's certainly not good for the person they killed. So they don't recognize that as love, but that's exactly what it is. It's love. But love is patient. It is kind. It's not harsh in nature. It's not harsh in nature. You know, it is easy to kick someone when they're down, but it's hard to kick to lift that person up when you're glad when you feel glad that they got what they got. See, that's a, wrong, that's a wrong emotion. That's a wrong emotion. Love, the action, which is what love is, helps that person up to become the best person that he or she can be. If they will allow you to do it, right? 
True love's patience will develop as the Christian matures. This is like anything else in this life. The more we practice, the better we get. And it goes beyond that emotion that we attach to love, that we mistake for love, and it goes and turns into an action that says, I will be gentle in my behavior toward this person. I will be gentle. And I'm going to be kind to other people. That's true because the trials and the tribulations, the problems in this life, what that does is it helps to cause our patience to get greater and better. And it's possible to be patient with someone when we understand what is going on in his or her life better, right? They've gone through something that we've gone through now. I can be more patient. I can be kind because I can look back and I say, I was right there at one time and I know how that person feels. So I'm going to be a little patient. Well, wouldn't it have been nice to have had someone to be patient with me? That's what all those trials and tribulations does. Because of patience, love is not envious. It does not have jealousy toward anyone. True love is happy when others are happy. True love is happy when good things happen to, 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 to people, right? And now remember, love's not just an emotion. It's not really an emotion. It just has emotion attached to it. Certain kinds of love. You know certain kinds of love don't have any emotion attached to it? It's just what doing good for what, what is best for that person. And so we can move beyond that. Love does not vaunt itself, nor is it puffed up. It doesn't brag. It doesn't inflate itself. A person who truly loves others do not think more highly of themselves than what they ought to think. We are never upset when someone else receives recognition or praise, Romans 12, 15. We are happy for those people. It makes us happy, right? Those are patient characteristics of love. But love also has purpose. Love just wasn't a side effect of something that that God came up with. God designed that to be exactly the way that it is. Love does not act unseemly, meaning those who love do not participate in rude and hurtful behavior. See, there is a purpose behind love. Unseemly means ugly, shameful, and base. Now, we're talking about the outward behavior of someone. Have you ever seen someone act outwardly rude or unseemly or ugly? Man, have you listened to the news lately? That's what's happening in the world. That is the antithesis of love. What's going on right now. Love does not ask one to do anything that is degrading, does not unjustly criticize, and it does not embarrass those who we love. Do those things happen sometimes? Sure they do. But we're to work to prevent those things from happening. Love does not seek her own. It is not selfish. In fact, love is selfless. That's what love is. We see that in the love that Jesus showed toward the world, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were yet sinners, people who hated God, did not obey God, and had no interest in God, Christ died for the ungodly. That's love. Since love is not selfish, it is not easily Provoke. Do you notice that it didn't say love 